So some of you know we've teamed up with Picks, and that is PicksShop.com. There's an app, and we are working on the app with them. The coolest thing about it is we get to have meetings and go through design stuff and see how we can fix the UI UX. But there is so much technology behind this app, and like I can't even get it to you in a minute of everything that's going on. But if you do tastings, you could do tastings, you could do posts and just say like, hey, I'm drinking this tonight. But if you do tastings, the app is going to start matching you to bourbons that you are going to like. You're going to find emails that come through that say, hey, you liked this one a lot. You might like these two. As you're searching through, you're going to see the percentage of like how well you match to the other people that are tasting and the other drinks that they are tasting as well. So this thing is so cool. It gives you recommendations. You can see how your friends rated things. It's just a fun way to interact and drink whiskey together, even though we are all virtual sometimes. You know, you could do it with the people in your neighborhood. You could do it with people across the country. Picks is so much fun. And go to PicksShop.com. Download the app. It's only for Apple right now, but we are going to get it for Android eventually. Go to PicksShop.com. Download the app today. Have fun plans for the outdoors? Make the memories last with the best outdoor coolers and drinkware. Celebrating 10 years of cool, Orca was founded in 2012, born from the idea of making a hard-sided cooler that beat out all the rest. Orca coolers are built to be as strong as the adventures you take them on. That's why they have a lifetime warranty while giving you world-class maximum temperature retention. Orca's drinkware offers the same high quality, keeping your drinks icy cold or hot for hours, and they look great while doing it. Their stainless steel vacuum-sealed tumblers and martini cup are perfect companions for your next outdoor adventure. Go to orcacoolers.com backslash bourbon for 15% off your order. That's orcacoolers.com backslash bourbon for 15% off. Orca, make it last. everyone. My name is John Edwards. Zeke Baker is on assignment and together we make the dad's drink of bourbon. Wherever you are, whatever time it is, thank you for making us part of your day. I really wish he was here because like my iPad battery is half down already. I'm like freaking out because I want to get all the information in for this guest. And that is Leah Kingsley. She is the director, the actress, producer, writer extraordinaire, but she's directing the film, The Spirit of Women. It's a documentary that's in pre-production. She's going to be talking to a whole bunch of women in the spirits industry, and we're going to learn about who she's going to talk to, the type of people that she's talking to. But she's here for a couple reasons. Is number one, to educate everybody about the project. Number two, to tell everybody how they can help get in on supporting this project because this project is going to need some funding. This is all kind of on her bootstraps. She's going out to people, trying to raise money for this film, trying to get it produced. She's just an awesome person. I mean, I've been talking to her for 45 minutes. We've all got to know her on Instagram. The Spirit of Women has their own Instagram page where you've kind of got to learn a little bit more about Leah and what she's doing. I reached out and I said, why don't you come on Dad's Drinking Bourbon and tell us your story. I'd love to hear more. So welcome. 
welcome Leah. I'm going to shut up now as I've been talking your ear off for 45 minutes. And I want to know about you. I want to know about how you got started. I know you're an actress. You were in great movies like Semi Pro with Will Ferrell as the ball girl. You were in The Choice, Criminal Minds, one of my favorite shows. So like you've done the gamut of being a producer, being an actress, all that. Tell us a little bit about your career and how it led you to the spirit of women and how you got into acting to begin with. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you for that incredible introduction. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm so excited to be on your amazing podcast. So thank you for having me. Yeah. So I am originally from Lexington, Kentucky. That's where my roots are. If we have any listeners that are in the military or involved in the military, my dad was actually in the military. He was in the army and he flew Apaches and was a major. So I've actually lived all over the world. But when he retired, we retired in Lexington, Kentucky. So that's what I call home. I was in elementary school when that happened. So I graduated from Henry Clay High School. And then uh, I moved out to Los Angeles right after high school. And I've been out here for over 10 years now. And yeah, I started out as an actress. I weirdly always knew that I wanted to be an actress since the time I was like five years old. I used to, this is so terrible, but I used to um, tell my mom that I was sick. And I would stay home from school and I would memorize lines from movies and then I would act them out in my room. <laughs> so what movies, very... what were your favorite movies to do that to? Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, when I was really young and it was like cartoon movies, I used to do it to the Barbie movies. So I would play Barbie <laughs> and I would just act out like the pink Corvette that she rode in. Uh, my dad bought me one of those for like my Barbie house. I had like a little pink Corvette. And then as I got older, so did the movies. But my favorite movie that I used to do it to was Speed with Sandra Bullock and Keanu Reeves. I'm actually Googling right now because I'm trying to kind of figure out. And no, it was never mind. It was past your time, not way past your time, because you're probably younger than me. Barbie and a Mermaid Tale was 2010. Fairy Secret, Princess Charm School, Mermaid Tale 2. That's the stuff that like my daughter is super into. So I've had to watch all those Barbie movies over and over and over. But that's probably not the ones you were watching. No, it wasn't. But, you know, I used to uh, I used to watch the Disney movies. So like the mermaid, the little mermaid, I would write down all of the lyrics and all of the sentences to that movie. And then I would act those out. And it was really sad because I would play every character. So I was essentially just. <laughs> just doing my own form of film. I think we've all done that. I used to watch Top Gun every single day, every day. Oh my God. Amazing. Amazing. And I would act out the whole thing. And then when Goose died, I would run in the living room and I would tell my mom and dad, I go, mom, mom, dad, dad, Goose died, Goose died. And then I'd go back in, finish it and then rewind it and start it again. Oh my God. That's amazing. We're kindred souls. <laughs> yes. A hundred percent. And like the best part about it is like the whole thing, like I can do just line out after line of the whole thing where and like Forrest Gump I was really bad on too oh my gosh <laughs> I feel like everybody acted out Forrest Gump like you couldn't help it it was just he had such good lines how could you not <laughs> that's a nice pair of shoes you know you could tell a lot about a person by the pair of shoes where they're going where they've been I remember my first yeah. pair of shoes mama told me they'd take me anywhere that's 
pretty good. But wow. like, it was too much of it. I just remembered too much of it. But I never got into acting or anything like that because I was always doing the sports side. If it was high school musical, I chose the wrong side. <laughs> Well, that was going to be my next question is, did you ever want to be an actor? Because that's the kind of stuff that us crazy actors did when we were kids. I think I would fit in very well if I ever tried I think you would too. to do it, but I just have never tried to do it. So if anyone's listening, I'm available. Okay. So for my next film, because you know, I do feature films like narrative films as well. I'm going to be calling you. Perfect. I'm in. I'm game. <laughs> So you do this, you're in it, you're in LA, you've left Lexington. The bigger question before we even get to like all that other stuff is, did you bleed blue or red? Oh boy. Oh, this is such a dangerous question. Oh man, such a dangerous question. And here's why. Growing up in Lexington, of course, go big blue, right? Yeah. But then my mom, so my mom and dad divorced and my mom remarried and my stepdad is from Louisville. My mom and my stepdad moved to Louisville after my sister and I moved out of the house. So we've got these controversy like opinions because he definitely bleeds red and you know we bleed blue. So there's a lot of tension in the house sometimes. Can I tell you how to fix it real quick? Please do because it's never been fixed. <laughs> so I am a proud UK grad. It's not going to fix everything 100%, but I, I graduated from the University of Kentucky and here's the thing I'll say. Go blue, but when they're not playing Kentucky, I hope Louisville wins every game they play because <laughs> it is better for the state when both of them are doing well. I'll just leave it at that. Like the rivalry games are a million times better. If one of them sucks and one of them's good, it's not a good rivalry game, football or basketball. Like I want them both to be the best they possibly can be. And then I want Kentucky to win. That is a very good answer. And I'm going to take that home with me and I will let you know how that works. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, y'all can win the, they're, they're in different conferences, you know, like you go win the conference championship, Louisville, like it's okay. But when you play yeah. Kentucky, we win. Totally. I mean, me personally, I am for UK. I am for blue. It's my home. It's where I went to school. You know, I can't betray them, but keeping the peace in the house between those two things. Oh boy. <laughs> that That's a rough one. That is a rough one. Yeah. So anyways, you go out to LA. How do you end up like, I not to get about you and acting and I just find it interesting. Like, what did you do? Who'd you talk to when you went out there? Like, how'd you find an agent? All that fun oh. stuff. Oh, man. Um, how many hours do you have? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so when I moved to LA, I didn't know anybody, actually. And I had been working three jobs in Lexington to save up enough money to be able to move to LA on my own. I didn't know anyone when I first moved to LA. I had a friend of mine back home in Lexington who knew somebody out here and she introduced me to her and she became actually my my very first roommate. And then um, I put myself through a two-year Meisner program. So Meisner is an acting program and uh, you graduate from it. It's twice a week in the evening. So I was working full-time during the day and then I was going to school for acting at night for two years. And that's also when I booked semi-pro, which was pretty wild. I didn't have an agent at the time. I did a ton of research on agencies. I reached out to them. There were a lot of things that I just didn't know at the time about LA and like how to get into the acting world. So I 
kind of did exactly what I do now, which is when I don't know how to do something or I'm not familiar with how to get into something, I just figure it out. So I read a lot. I do a lot of research and I ended up booking semi-pro, which led to me having my very first manager out here. And then after that, I started to become, I was auditioning a lot and I was looking at a lot of these roles that I was auditioning for, a lot of the TV shows that I was seeing on networks, a lot of the films that were getting made. And as a female, I was really disheartened and disappointed in what was being made and how women were portrayed in Hollywood and in film and in TV. And a lot of these scripts that I was reading and that I was passing on, even though I had no money and I could really use the credits, but I was passing on them anyway, were really terrible scripts. And they weren't things that I wanted to be represented as a female actress in Hollywood. It just wasn't the way that I wanted people to see me. And so there were a lot of things that I passed on. And that actually led me into the world of writing. Because I was like, if you're going to greenlight this pilot on this network and put millions of dollars in it, and it's terrible and should never be made, then I'm going to create something that I want to see on TV and in film for roles that I want to play that are strong female leads that empower women that tell real stories that are character driven, that are interesting to try and change this perception and change this, you know, this way that we see women in film and television. So that led me into writing. I'd never taken a writing class. I had never gone to school for writing. It wasn't something that was in my forte outside of I had read, you know, a shit ton of scripts. I watched a ton of film and TV. I had auditioned for years. So I understood the formula of writing scripts. So that's when I started getting into writing. And then my film and TV scripts became finalists at places like Sundance and um, HBO Project Greenlight and the New York Television Festival. So I started to kind of build these accolades. And so I was like, okay, there really is something here. There's something that I'm tapping into that is that is working and that is empowering for women. And so that progression kind of led me into producing as well. Producing opened up this whole new avenue for me where I could not only write things now, but I could also help produce them. And I think that knowledge is power. And I think that one of the things that we have to look at in any industry is who's the one at the top making decisions. And in Hollywood, most of the time it's men. I saw this need to create space for women in these higher key positions like a producer because they're the ones that are greenlighting things. They're the ones that are getting things made. They're the ones that are building relationships. So I wanted to be able to be at that table. So that kind of led me into producing feature films and television shows, which then eventually led into what I'm doing now and directing this documentary about the trailblazing women who are paving the way for females in this, you know, male-dominated industry of whiskey and bourbon. Yes, we are going to get to this film because this is the reason why you're here. But I find it interesting too, like movies that you would think would be trailblazing for women at the time, you know, and, and this is probably pre when you were out there because, you know, like Cruel Intentions, it's great. You know, she is a boss, but she's portrayed as ruthless and mean and all this other stuff and just completely cruel, not to 
take the movie from it, right? So there's, it's either like she's a hundred percent an awful person, or you have Legally Blonde in two thousand one, which is she's a complete ditz, and then like finds herself in the. But it was never like anybody is just whole, like just a regular. Like there's always some character flaw to their persona, even in like these movies that are supposed to be empowering women at the time. Because I think there was a switch. And yes, it's not perfect, right? Like not everything is perfect. Not everything is 100% there. But like there was a switch prior to Me Too where your women did get meatier parts. And, And I mean, do you think that was because of people like you coming up in that generation that was coming up that was kind of like, yeah, we're going to do things a little bit differently here. Like, (laughs) when do you think that switch kind of happened in Hollywood to allow for some of that, the deeper characters, the more complex characters, and really the more interesting stories to come out? Yeah, that's such a good question because you're right. Films like Cruel Intentions and Legally Blonde at that time, they were probably seen as trying to be female empowerment, you know, female led and and that sort of thing. But really they were just, and and don't get me wrong, I love Legally Blonde. Like I love it. But when you take a a step back. It's a fan favorite, but when you you really examine it, it's like, it's not okay. No, they're basically putting on the party tricks of those like characters of that person. Yeah. Like you said, it's like not okay. Like she has depth. Let's show what her depth is. And I think that there's a way to do that in balance. I think that there has been a shift and I definitely noticed before the Me Too movement that that shift was starting to take place at my, where I was studying acting. Cause you know, when you're an actor, you never stop studying. There was a group of women And we kind of all got together and we're like, how can we help create more opportunity for women in front of and behind the camera? So we actually started an organization together at that time that was trying to give opportunities for women in roles like being a DP, which is a, for people that don't know, a DP is the director of photography. So they're the person that's working directly with the director. The director says, hey, I want to set up this shot and I want the light to be coming in through the window so it looks like morning, but I want it to be a little darker on the right-hand side and give it this eerie feel. So it's actually the DP's job to do that. He works with the gaffer and the grip and all his uh, women and men to be able to set up that shot. But you don't really see women in those roles. And it's not because they don't want to be there. It's because the opportunity isn't really there. They don't know how to get their foot in the door. So part of what we did was try and create a space, a community for women to be able to get into positions like that, um, to get into positions that were predominantly, you know, male dominated. So I think that there was like this push that was happening with women like myself in the industry that wanted to see change and weren't seeing it fast enough. And so we were just like, okay, well, everybody can fuck off. We're just going to do it ourselves. (laughs) you know (laughs) but i also think it's like even the more prominent people and and i was going to say like a theory i have and what you're saying is stuff that i'm not even considering right because when you're on the outside and you're looking at these films you're not even considering like are women the dp or women the gaffer or women the grip like 
you're considering like, hey, I think it's really cool that like Olivia Wilde does these like big movies, but then they always make sure to do indie movies too to show that they have depth. And like, I think it is, it's probably, and I'm just being naive from what I know, it's probably a mixture of both. Like it's that generation that is um, coming up, like the Lake Bells and the 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 folks that are doing the the bigger movies and then the indie movies, and it's like Anna Kendrick doing an indie movie with her friends. Those yeah. folks like that are showing like okay, and I think like these generation of actors in general, like they're gonna take something and they're gonna look at it and go, okay, I do this one for money, I do this one for fun, I do this one for money, I do this one for fun, and it's like they're bouncing back and forth but i didn't even think to like go back because i think the ones they're doing for fun is like okay they're picking it they're producing it they're green lighting it they're doing it on shoestring budgets but it's really like to your point and obviously to your point you're the expert on the situation but it's making sure all the positions there like there's women everywhere and there's people not just people that are picking it like based off like hey this is a superhero movie we'll make a billion bucks like this is what we need to do Yeah, totally. And I think that when you're an artist and you're somebody who really loves the craft and you want to be able to control what you make and what means something to you, because every artist is, you know, drawn towards different work, different characters, different depth, different um, stories. And so in order to maybe be able to support that, they do kind of go off and do these bigger budget films that they're going to get paid a lot, which is going to put them in the spotlight. You know, it's, it's a very smart move for them really, because if they are out there in the spotlight and they are doing these bigger blockbuster films, then that allows them the vehicle that they need to then do what they're really passionate about, which is green lighting films that matter to them, you know, putting their friends in films that they know are talented, that should be given that opportunity, hiring the crew, everybody behind the camera, like you're talking about, so that women can be hired for, you know, the role of a DP or a gaffer or a PA or whatever. There's so many roles on a set that people aren't always aware of. It's not just the actors that matter. It's the people that are behind the camera that are actually making the production happen every single day for hours and hours and hours. And their roles are just as vital. So I think giving those people the opportunity from marginalized groups and for women is just as important as it is that we see female directors and, you know, strong female lead roles and all of that sort of stuff. And I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. I wrote a, um, I wrote a feature film that is a horror slash thriller film called The Abandoned. And I did that a few years ago. And it was because I got tired of reading and having to audition for horror slash thriller roles where women are portrayed, as you can imagine, from seeing so many horror films. And I was just like, are there no smart women in horror films? Are there any women that don't run upstairs? Are there any women that don't die in the woods having sex? Are there like, any are women that kidding me? don't pick up the phone? Like, just don't pick up the phone. You're by yourself. Like, although lock the door. <laughs> not to derail this, but did you see the Courtney yeah. Cox video that just came out with her and the scream mask guy? And it no, was, I didn't. But I love Courtney Cox. What was it? It was like a recreation of Taylor Swift's anti-hero. And oh my god. 
he the, the scream guy was like it's me and she said hi and then he said i'm the problem it's me and then she gave him the knife and then he stabbed her and like i'm not going to apologize everybody that's watched our instagram like i've had midnights on repeat for a week and a half it's okay she writes good music y'all but 100 percent, she does but i really liked watching that that was a great reel by the way it just go That's find it hilarious i'm gonna have to go find it and then i'll repost it on on our instagram that is so so good it oh, is wow. But you're right. I mean, all of the horror movie things. I mean, it's like, don't go there. Don't. Why, why are you going in there? Like, I feel like writers can be smarter. Like, don't be a lazy writer. And that was such a frustration that I had. And so when we pitched this to HBO for Project Greenlight, we had to actually do a video. So we had to do a pitch video that we had to send in. And that's how you, you know, hopefully got to the next round. And so I came up with this idea for the pitch video that I basically wanted to show them everything that our horror film was not going to be. So we shot a small sequence, almost like a a short film that told the story of a serial killer. And we put in every single fucking cliche that there is about women in horror films. So we had like four or five characters and they would like The women would run up the stairs and then one of the women was being chased by the killer and she couldn't run. She just kept falling to the point where the killer was just standing over her and going like, this is too easy. Like, can you just get up and try to run? Like, and the car didn't start. There was no cell phone reception. Like we literally put in every single cliche and we're like, this is what you won't see in our film. And we, we got into the top 10. Oh, that's awesome. And I also love, I mean, it's so the thing about me too, is I'm, I'm from Boston. Project Mm. Greenlight just has a special place for me with Matt and Ben and totally I'll just leave it at that. But the, um, the other thing I would say is there, there's a lot more interesting stuff that's come out lately, you know, especially like, you know, with a quiet place and, and women just what they're doing, especially like in the familial sense of it. And I know it's going to sound cliche and it's going to sound easy, but it's like, it's always like a young single girl that's acting stupid. And then like a mom is acting strong. Like look at like what she's doing in a quiet place, like that whole movie. And and it's also, I think the difference between like a horror movie and a thriller. And I feel like thrillers can be smarter. Like sometimes I will throw this out there and I know it sounds bad, but like every single trope, that you would expect to happen in a horror movie sometimes can make it fun as bad as it sounds right like as bad it's like you know she's gonna fall and like you know he's gonna do this and like you you just know like why do they do those predictive things and there's something about it in a horror movie like when you know you're going to see a slasher like scream or i know what you did last summer I have expectations there and they're not high. Like, and they're very low. <laughs> they're very low. <laughs> I know what I'm getting into. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, there is a time and a place for that because all of those movies that you just mentioned are amazing films. I love those films. Um, and so there definitely is a genre for that. And there's a place for that type of, I don't even want to say comedy because it's not, not necessarily oh, no, it's comedy, but it's totally. like this like shtick about it right no it's totally a comedy like i find it (laughs) hilarious saw scares the shit out of me but like scream makes me laugh yes exactly and i completely agree with that it's i think it's when films 
that I often would read, they're trying to be serious. You know, it's, it's, it's like bad writing where you're just like, oh, you have decided that horror films make money. And so you're just putting something on the page because this is a genre that sells really easily. And so you're just kind of putting things together and calling it a film and somebody's giving you money to make it. And there's much better ways and smarter ways to do this if that's what you're going to do. And as a writer, I feel like I'm probably really annoying with some of my writing partners because I refuse to fall into tropes unless it's something where it's supposed to be that way, like a scream or um, I know what you did last summer. But if it's like trying to be an intelligent film that really tells a story, I'm the annoying person that's like, no, guys, we can't do that. Like, come on, we, we got to find <laughs> we got to find a better storyline here. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's so one of my favorite TV shows got made again. It got rebooted, but was Mystery Science Theater 3000. I have not seen that. Oh my God. It's these. So it's a guy and robots that are abandoned on this space station and they make them watch terrible old horror movies and they sit there and just clown on the horror movies the whole time. So you see them like you see the screen and then you see their three shadows at the bottom. So it's two robots Uh and this guy and they just make fun of the movie the whole time. Oh my God, that's amazing. Oh, wait, I think I have seen this. Yes, they make fun of the movie. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They make okay. fun of the movie the whole time. So like, I am completely for horror movies, like when it embraces the suck and you're just like, I'm going to make fun of this movie terrible the whole time. Film. Right. But like, and you know, it's terrible. You don't go in saying like, but I really do love where things have been able to go, like with your movie and, and with some of these newer movies that have depth and, and it's not just the, the same old shtick. We're going to go to that at the same time, but we could talk about this forever and our know, love really for <laughs> cheesy horror movies, but you've gone through all this. You have all these accolades. What happens with the spirit of women? Is it because of your hometown and your connection there that you kind of wanted to explore whiskey? Or did somebody come to you because you have all these credits to you and says, I think you could really help with this film? Such a good question. So I I actually created this on my own and developed it on my own. And the way it kind of started is a few years ago, I was at the Angels Envy Distillery and Buffalo Trace Distillery. And I was learning about kind of the art of making bourbon and whiskey. Because even though I had grown up, you know, in Kentucky around all of this, I really didn't know much about how it's made, what it entails, all of those things. And I was pleasantly surprised and really fascinated by the art of making bourbon and whiskey. And I think that that is the artist in me that looks at all of these different elements to create this kind of timeless piece. Every time that you drink a whiskey or a bourbon, it has a history to it. You know, it came from specific trees. It was aged a certain way. People created this mash and this recipe. And it's really this really beautiful um, historical thing that, that we have here in America with bourbon. And everything that I was kind of surrounded by and everything that I saw and everything that I grew up with in Kentucky was that that had to do with bourbon and whiskey was always men. 
you know, I always thought of bourbon and whiskey as, as a man's drink. And as I started becoming fascinated with bourbon and whiskey, I went down this rabbit hole of research. I started buying books on it. I was reading about it. I started, you know, researching everything I could about the history and people involved in it. And that led me to discover how vital women's roles have been in not only the creation of alcohol since the very beginning of time that I didn't know about, but also the vital roles that they have had in the engineering and um, sustaining of whiskey and then bourbon once that started being made in America. And I was really upset that I had grown up in Kentucky around all of this and I had no idea about it. No one was talking about it around me. I think that that has to do with a lot of things, you know, marketing society, like we could go on and on about why that is. I just really was fascinated by the work that women were doing in this predominantly male dominated field. And I was hired last year to executive produce a whiskey television show in Kentucky. So last fall, I went back home and I worked with a bunch of the distilleries you know, I was the only woman that was on set and that's pretty common. Even in LA, that's a pretty common thing. So I was really grateful to be able to be a female on set and be working on this, this show. But that really also started spinning my wheels. You know, I'm, I'm the only woman here. These distilleries are amazing. The work they're doing is amazing. I really wanted to learn more about what women were involved in all these distilleries. And I came back to LA and I was um, standing in Whole Foods actually. And I saw this American whiskey magazine and it had four women on the cover of it. And I'll never forget standing in line and something in me just telling me to buy it. And I was like, oh, but do I need it? I don't know. But I just like, you know, women's intuition. I just was like, okay, I'm going to listen to this instinct that I have. And I bought it. I went home. I read it. And that's where I discovered that the four women on the cover of the magazine were the female executive team over at Uncle Nearest. Not only had I not seen women usually on the cover of a whiskey magazine, but two of them were women of color. And this was amazing to me. So I read the whole magazine and that's where I was introduced to Marianne Eves, Jackie Zykan, you know, the full female executive team at Uncle Nearest. And I was like, man, this is so cool. Why don't more people know about this? I mean, I grew up around this and I don't know about this. So that means that unless you're in the whiskey and bourbon community, you don't know about them on a massive scale. So I decided that I wanted to change that. I felt like the world needed to know what these women are doing, what they have accomplished in this world, because it, it not only relates to women in the world of whiskey and bourbon, but as a female in Hollywood, it also relates to a lot of the things that I've been up against as a female in this industry. So there's this like parallel theme that happens. So I reached out to all of them. And the first person I spoke to was Jackie Zycan. And I was like, look, this is who I am. This is what I do. I don't really know what I even want to put together with you yet, but I know that I want to do something. I want to tell your all story. I want you all to be able to tell your story in a massive way 
people need to know who you are. Do you want to do this with me? And she was like, yes, I do. And Jackie's the best. Jackie is just ready to dive right in. So she is. And that's exactly what it was. Cause I didn't even know what this was going to be yet. I just knew that I needed to do something. I needed to use my skill set as a filmmaker, as all these things that I had now been doing for years and years with writing and producing and, you know, now directing. And I wanted to push this movement forward in a way that people outside of bourbon and whiskey would know who they are and would know the roles that women have been playing in the creation of whiskey and bourbon throughout history. I think a lot of people see whiskey and they don't realize what goes into it. And I always call it the one percenters. Like everybody is the one percenters that are going to, who's going to listen to a bourbon podcast? Who's going to read a bourbon blog? Who's going to you know, go on the Facebook boards and actually talk about this stuff? It is totally the 1% that like, or what's the mash bill in there? What's the char? Where's the cooperage from? And a lot of people don't know. It's like the public knows And it's the reason why Spirits Awards get so much press, because you can go slap a double gold label on a bottle and then somebody that doesn't know better walks through and goes, oh, yeah, this is great. It won a double gold. Totally. Then you look at the bottle and it's like, oh, distilled in Indiana, just like with a whole bunch of other stuff that is on this same (laughs) shelf. Like, and those are the things that like people don't realize at the end of the day. And they don't realize even just the fact that like, oh, there are women distillers out there. And I hate saying that. I literally hate saying that, especially in in something I talked about to you before we even got on this and hit record is, you know, Tennessee per capita, I think has the most female master distillers in the country. You know, there, there's about five or six of them. That's great. I love that we have that here. It doesn't get celebrated enough. It was what I was telling you before. It's like, I hate asking the question, what's it like being a woman in whiskey? Because I really just want to ask, what's it like being in whiskey? But then I also don't want to unfairly downplay anybody's story by not asking the question. And then I'm like, well, what the hell do I do? I kind of give up. So, you know, like, it's like, I really just want to know what people's stories are and and what they're doing regardless of gender. But I also know what somebody has said to me before is until it's not an issue, it's still an issue. That's right. That's the whole thing. And I, I actually very much appreciate everything that you just said. And I can understand, you know, from my conversations with the women who are attached to be in the film, I think that the, you know, they also are tired of being asked, what's it like to be a woman in whiskey? When really they just want to be seen as somebody doing something that they love, regardless if they're a person of color or what their gender is or their sexuality, like they don't want any of that to matter. But like you said, until we get to that point where it doesn't matter, which by the way, the way that we get there is by doing documentaries like this. It's by being on, you know, podcasts, you inviting me on here to talk about this film, to talk about, you know, this issue and, and kind of what, how do we change it and how do we bring everybody to the table so that it's more inclusive? Those are the ways that we actually get rid of the stigma. It's the same in film. You know, I relate so much of this to film as well, because a lot of the stigma in film is also about being a woman instead of just being seen 
as somebody who loves what they do and is, is doing what they do because they love it. And I think that one of the things that we want to talk about in the documentary, and that's also really important to me, is not checking a box. You know, I never want to be hired as an actress, as a producer, as a writer, or as a director, because I'm checking a box for somebody. And if a man gets a job over me because he is more qualified or he's better for that job, great. I don't ever want to be hired because I'm a woman. I want to be hired because I'm the best at what I do, but I want to be given the same opportunity as him. And that's kind of the difference is like, we have to look at bringing these women in so that they have the same opportunity within this industry of whiskey and bourbon as the men do. Not hiring them because they check a box and then a distillery can say, well, we have a female master distiller. Because that continues the problematic stigma of asking the question, what's it like to be a woman in whiskey? Because if you're only there checking a box, which has happened to these women, then we're not actually being progressive. We're not actually pushing things forward. So it's bringing everybody in with open doors and being able to create opportunity for all of them so that everybody can, you know, rise up equally. I think it's tough on the roles, right? And I think it's something, it's that story I told you and our listeners know it was when Jane and, and Denny from formerly of Maker's Mark were on and they were talking about, you know, how Denny got a position as a distiller because he was in QC and there was an opening on the distillery floor and Jane, like they just never asked her. They never asked the women if they wanted to go to the distillery floor. I mean, distiller is such a an interesting side of it, especially when you get to master distiller. I almost feel like Anybody can distill, and I know this is this is not a cop out to the female master distillers out there, and and anything that or master distillers in general, right? Because at that point, you're really plant manager. The blenders are the ones that are bringing the spirit to life, and they're the ones that are you know. If you look at at some other spirits around the world, cognac is completely about blending, you know, because they're sourcing that cognac from a ton of different distilleries, and then they're blending it together. You know, scotch. It's all about the blending. Like you think of who the, these rock stars really have been, you know, with your Janes and your Jackies and your Nancy Fraley's and your Ashley Barnes, you know, a lot of it is blending. Like, and then in Tennessee, you know, like obviously Nicole and Alex, like they are distilling slash blending. Like they're, you know, like they are controlling what spirit is coming out. And it, yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to downplay the distilling aspect of it, but like even think about Marianne, where her forte has really come into has been blending spirits post distilling. Absolutely. She is a genius when it comes to blending and crafting recipes and being able to put the right ingredients together to create an incredible product. A hundred percent. I don't even know what I'm saying right now, if it makes sense or if I'm just incoherently rambling late night. Like it's just hard. It makes sense to me. (laughs) It's just hard right now. I think like the question I have, it's like everybody wants to be a master distiller, but like, does anyone want to be a master distiller at the end of the day? Like, or... (laughs) is the rock star role blender. But then also I'm, I'm like, 
screwed in the head because Jane was like, well, I became a blender because they never asked me to be a distiller. And I'm like, well, shit, like we're all moving that way now. Like we're all celebrate blenders. So like, maybe that's the best position to be in. Yeah. I mean, no. So I, I think like, what is the best thing that you think you found as you've gone through, not like the number one story, because that would be unfair to the other people that are going through this. But like, what do you think is the most interesting thing I guess you found as you've been talking to these women? Is there a common thread they all have? Yeah, that's a really good question. There is a common thread. All of the women that I have gotten to know are, are very different. They all have very different characteristics about them. They have very unique personalities that separate them. They come from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds. But the one piece that I think connects all of them is, number one, their absolute love for whiskey and bourbon in every sense of the word from creating it to the recipes to the science behind it to the art they absolutely love it and the other part of it is their tenacity and fierce spirit that each of them has that has gotten them to where they are today because they've all been up against a lot of obstacles a lot of things that Other people may have given up or turned away or it's too hard or I don't know how to do this or, you know, I can't get in the door. And none of them did. They all paved their own path. And some of them, it was easier than others. But for example, Fawn Weaver tells an incredible story about how when she created Uncle Nearest or was in the process of creating it, that she would call a bunch of different distilleries and... Most of the time, she couldn't get through to speak with the person in charge, or she wouldn't get a call back. And so instead of giving up or, you know, just being like, well, this is too hard, she figured out another way. And she had her husband make the phone calls. And most of the time, if he made the phone calls saying it was him starting the company, he got phone calls back. Now that was several years ago and I hope that things are different now, but that is her story. And that is how she was then able to start her business and and get this off the ground. But it took a lot of that. It took a lot of that legwork. And so one of the reasons that I call this film the spirit of women is not only because spirit is a play on the word of whiskey and bourbon, but because these women have fierce spirit in them. It is really, really hard to do the things that they have done and they've never given up. And it's part of the reason that despite like there are difficulties in getting this film off the ground, making films is one of the hardest things to do. Like these women, you know, I look at them and I'm inspired and and in awe of what they have done. And so that gives me the spirit to also push through the roadblocks and the difficulties because I see these women who didn't give up on what they believed in. And I think that that's one of the coolest and most profound things that I have found in every single one of them is their spirit and their fierceness. A little different, right? People aren't getting callbacks now because there's no more juice to give out. That's... (laughs) that's the difference is you're not getting called back now because it's like you haven't had an established relationship at this distillery in the past three years we don't 
We don't have anything for you. I heard a great story today. There is a, a distillery that is opening up, and I'm, I'm not going to name names, right? But a distillery is opening up a contract portion of their business. So, you know, they're established distillery. They just got another still. Their first year of production was already bought before they've distilled one drop of it. Oh my God. If you want to know another film that like would be interesting, not just, I mean, the women is a great topic, but you know, all these non-distilling producers that have come up that are now taking all this contract distillery juice, like there is going to be a shortage of whiskey for some of these brands, right? Like that are established brands that if you think about it, if you're not making it yourself and you're having somebody else make it for you, what happens when that place you're going to get it from now tells you, I can't make it for you anymore. Yeah, so, that's really unfortunate. That makes me really sad, actually. That is a, I think that part of part of like what's so beautiful about whiskey and bourbon is the community, right? Like the whole thing about bourbon is that it's it's made to be shared. And I love that because I think community is so important. And something that I've definitely noticed within the community coming into this as kind of a, you know, a newcomer, even though I'm from Kentucky, I've been developing this documentary for a year, is how incredible people who love whiskey and bourbon are. Like they have opened their arms to me. People like you that were like, I believe in this film. You're doing something cool. Come on my podcast. Like you don't get that everywhere and in every industry. So it's very heartfelt for me. It really means something to me. Um, the people involved in this, and I don't just mean like our cast, I mean the community and our followers and our supporters, they truly mean something to me. And so to hear something like that, it kind of breaks my heart because it's removing in a way that beautiful aspect of, you know, this kind of idyllic story that we have around bourbon and whiskey and and the heritage behind it and the family owned and the family values well, but and, that's not so you know. it's still there right and this is just like if you're trying to start a distillery a lot of times before your still gets up and running you might buy some some whiskey from another distillery until you get your stuff ready to go you know so you could get some money in the door all that other stuff if your brand if you're never planning on having a still you're completely dependent on another distillery. And the the whiskey boom has just had so many distilleries pop up. Some of these distilleries are doing their own distilling. Some are not. Some of those ones that are not doing their own distilling might end up getting bought by bigger sharks. You never know what's going to happen. Like it's never. A, and maybe like, hey, some of these other distilleries, maybe their play is to have a, an established brand to get bought by a shark. That might be their idea. So mm -hmm. don't always think it's it's more complex, right? Like, hey, you're from Lexington. Is there money in horse racing or is the money really in the breeding? You, you never yeah, know. Good. Yeah, good point. You mm -hmm. never know kind of you got to follow the money with everything. And it's always kind of funny for me. And speaking of the money, I'm just going to say the spirit of women film needs your help. And I'll let you talk about that a little bit because you are going to brands. You are trying to get brands to give money. I don't think you're going to get mad at me for saying this. Just like an influencer on Instagram that's getting a bottle sent to them might have a brand put stipulations on them for what they can do or not do with said bottle and what they can say or not say in their Instagram picture. 
Leah is a person like myself who kind of says like, you can send us the bottle and we're going to be honest and that's it. So because of that, to get things going, and I really, really, really respect that about her. You know, people always say, how much is it to do a collab with dad's drinking bourbon? I said, it's free, but we got to be able to say whatever we want. I'm not going to charge you to send us a bottle, but you know, I, and I always kind of equate it like when I worked at ESPN, we got a press pass because we had to cover the game. So they give us a sample of the whiskey because we had to cover the game. But, you know, Leah doesn't need brands to pay her to cover the game. She has the women lined up. She needs to pay for film. She needs to. Well, I mean, it's digital film right now, but there's editing time. There's people that are working cameras. There's all it, it can be her. She's doing everything she possibly can herself, but there are things she needs help with. You can go, if you go on Instagram and find at the spirit of women film, and that is at all one word, the spirit of women film on the very bottom, there's a website. It's www.thefilmcollaborative.org backslash fiscal sponsorship backslash projects backslash the spirit of women film. And I'm sure there's more. So just click the link because like it was cut off as I'm reading this. I'm, I'm guessing where it goes. Please go well, there, there. We have a link. We have a link in our bio. So no, that's what I'm saying. Everyone. That's what I'm looking at right now. It's right here. I have it up on my phone, but it cuts off at a certain point. I'm assuming the where it cuts off is the spirit of women film, but just go to their Instagram and click the link on the bottom. And <laughs> like, if you have five bucks, give five bucks. If you have 25, give 25, like just do something, but you explain more because there's ways if you give certain thresholds of money, you get certain things as a part of this film, right? Thank you so much for everything that you said. I think that you and I really bonded before, you know, recording this. We, we both really bonded on integrity and being authentic with what it is that we do. And that's a very, um, that's part of my ethos. And I want to tell a real story um, and give these women the platform that they deserve to, you know, tell their authentic stories. So um, while we are going out to distilleries and brands to support this film, um, you know, this this will help brands and distilleries to, sh- to show that they actually support women in whiskey by wanting to get this film made. We are also trying to raise $50,000 in the next, I think at this point, it's probably 25 or 26 days, which will help us really get off the ground. Um, and one of the reasons that we are doing that or that I'm, I'm doing it this way is Hollywood always wants to make a show or a film about whiskey and men, you know, whiskey and men is a proven formula that works. There are a ton of TV shows, documentaries, and films about whiskey and men. But when you start talking about whiskey and women and wanting to do a film about them, what I've experienced is studios don't really know what to do with that because it's never been done before, which is really exciting for our film because no one has ever made this before. Nobody has had these women from Kentucky and Tennessee all in the same film. That's really highlighting them. But at the same time, Hollywood doesn't like to do things that they're not familiar with. So instead of waiting on Hollywood to give us permission and to, you know, risk what they would consider risk that investment, 
I've decided to tell this story anyway and to do whatever I can to be able to get the funding that we need because I believe that there's an audience out there for it. And I believe that there is a following out there for it that wants to see this get made, that wants to support this. So we have partnered with the Film Collaborative, which is a 501c nonprofit that allows corporations and individuals to donate to our project directly, and they receive a tax write-off for their donation. And then we've tried to create fun incentives for people. So we do have different um, tiers where, you know, you can, one of them is if you donate a certain amount, you will actually have your name in our film. So we'll have a special thanks at the end of the film that'll show the credits of all of the people who donated a certain amount. They'll be included in our film. We have another one where you can actually come and hang out with us for a day on set, whether you're in Tennessee or Kentucky. Um, you can come and see what it's like to actually be on a film set and see us working and be surrounded by whiskey and bourbon. We have another one where if you are a writer or you're wanting to get into film and television, you and I can schedule a Zoom and I can read your script. I can talk to you about you know, LA and how do you get into it? Um, we're trying to do things that are fun and supportive because we also understand that contributing to a film is still giving your money away. So we want to be able to give back to anybody who wants to join us and be part of this journey with us. And so we're also building this very big public campaign around this film, which most people don't do prior to shooting a project, we really want the public to be involved in this with us. We want to build a community of support. Um, and so we're doing that by doing podcasts like this. We have two magazine publications that are going to be coming out in November and December. Um, we're looking at doing daytime TV uh, talk shows. We have some panels at film festivals that want us to come and speak there. So we're really trying to build this kind of global community around this film and bring everybody in to join us with it. And one of the ways that you can help us do that is by donating to the film because we we really need that. And, um, and we don't want to wait on the film industry to give us the green light to be able to do it. So this is how we do it instead. Well, go to thefilmcollaborative.org backslash fiscal sponsorship backslash projects backslash the spirit of women, or you could just go to thefilmcollaborative.org and look for the spirit of women. It pops up. Where's it go? No, it still does fiscal sponsorship projects, spirit of women. Oh, well, never mind. That was a fail. That was a fail on my side. But anyways, you could go there. There's a donate button when you're there and then you can donate for this and Leah, you feel free to come back on whenever you want. You have an open invitation. If you're like, Hey, we have some movement or we've started shooting and you want to come on and just give us an update on where you are in the process, or you are a friend of the program for life and just come on whenever you want. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Honestly, you have no idea how much that means to me. I would love to come back on. It would be really fun to do an update. And I will just kind of say that, you know, we've had this uh, campaign going for donations for the past week, and we've been incredibly 
blessed. We've already raised $3,000. So that gets us, you know, every inch closer to our goal. So I would love to come back on here and give you all an update or have you on set. You can come and hang out with us. We can do a podcast there. The good thing is I'm nearby. I'm in Nashville. So, I mean, chances are you're going to be here and we can make that happen. I said I was going to make this. So y'all, I'm rushing this one out. I said I was going to make it like shorter so that I didn't have to do a lot of editing. Yes, we're an hour and 10 minutes into this because it was just such a good conversation. Leah, thank you so much again for coming on. Thank you. I appreciate you so much. Y'all can find us on Facebook at Dad's Drinking Bourbon, Twitter at Bourbon Dad's, Instagram at Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Please leave us an open, honest review, just like we leave open, honest reviews about the whiskey we drink. Go ahead and find Leah at the Spirit of Women Film on Instagram and find you know that long ass website. Just like go to the Instagram and find it. But you can also find us here in Nashville, Tennessee. Cheers. <laughs>